Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We're looking at the ESV translation. And as you turn, I also ask you to please stand as I read the Word of God uh, to you uh, this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. This is God's Word. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. It was January 9th of 1985, there was a pastor, his name was Christo Kulachev, and Christo Kulachev was a pastor in Bulgaria, and he had preached at this church for several years. Well, what he was preaching, the state government did not like, because he was preaching truth, and he was preaching Jesus Christ, and the state felt threatened by his preaching. And so what the state did was they tried to remove him from his pulpit, uh, from his church, and instead they, they tried to appoint another pastor to be the pastor of this church. Well, the problem was is that the congregation did not want this state-appointed pastor. They wanted their pastor, Pastor Krulichev. And so Pastor Krulichev, he grew the courage to remain in the pulpit, even though the state authorities didn't want him to preach from that pulpit. And he preached a sermon on that day of January 9th of 1985. Well, word got out, of course, that they refused the state-appointed pastor, and instead Krusalev stayed in the pulpit. And it got back to the state authorities, and they immediately put Krusalev in prison for doing what he wasn't supposed to do from the state. Well, Krusalev was in prison for eight months. And during those eight months, he had great success in ministry. More success than he did even at his church. And after he was released, after being there for eight months, this is what he said. He said, both prisoners and jailers asked me many questions. And it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in the church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. Why do I share this example with you this morning? Well, when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus... Several hundreds of years ago. He wrote it while he was in prison. And he had been in prison or house arrest for five years. And while he was in prison, God gave him great success in ministry. 
he ended up reaching many Roman guards who were watching over him while he was in prison. He also wrote four letters that have impacted the generations to come and have impacted you and me today. He wrote the letter of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the letter of Philemon during those five years of prison. Why was Paul in prison? He was in prison because he was doing the job that God called him to do. He was to go and tell the message of Jesus Christ not only to his Jewish people, but also to the Gentile people. The Gentile people were the enemies of the Jewish people. And Paul at one time hated the Gentile people. But when God radically changed his life, God told him that, Paul, you would not only spread my gospel to your people, but also to the people you hate, the Gentiles. And so while he was in Jerusalem one day, he befriended a Gentile by the name of Trophimus. You can read this in the book of Acts. He befriended Trophimus and word got out that Paul had walked Trophimus into the Jewish temple. Well, that wasn't true. It was a, a false accusation on Paul. Paul never did that. But these Jewish people hated the fact that Paul was befriending a Gentile And they made up a story that Paul took Trophimus into all these Jewish places of worship. And that was a no-no in the Jewish custom. And so they not only took Paul on trial, they put him on trial, but they also ended up putting him in prison. He started in Caesarea in prison for two years, and then he was transferred to Rome for three years, a total of five years in prison. But yet, despite the fact that he was in prison, he still remained joyful He remained optimistic because he knew that he was there for a reason. He knew that his job, no matter where he was, was to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we look at these 13 verses this morning, for just a few minutes, we see the reasons why Paul had great success in ministry. The first reason is that he understood his mission. The second reason is that he was able to reveal a mystery, a mystery of Jesus. And the third reason why he had great success while he was in prison in ministry is he gave a compelling message to the watching world. So first, we see that Paul, he understood his mission and he understood why he was in prison. In verse 1, he identified himself as a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Now, may I remind you that Paul was imprisoned by the Jewish authorities even by the Roman government. But Paul did not say, I am a prisoner of the Jews or I am a prisoner of the Romans. Paul knew that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, my my family and I, we went hiking and we went to Frozenhead State Park. Many of you have been there. And on your way to Frozenhead, you go through these back roads and what do you see? But you see the Morgan County Corrections Facility, Department of Corrections. And you realize there's a lot of bad dudes in this place. And my kids were asking the question, Daddy, why are there all these barbed wires around these buildings? And we said, it's to keep the bad guys inside and not to let them out. And they said, what do you mean by bad guys? And I said, well, you know, like Joker and, the Bane, and Bane. And they said, what? And I said, no, those guys don't really exist. But I said, bad guys, you know, that, that have done bad things. And, and they can't get out because you see all these barbed wires. They can't get out. They're confined to this facility, to this building. And so we're all safe. You don't need to worry about it, kids. And they said, okay, good. Well, the reason I share that with you is when you think about prison, you think about solitary confinement. You think about how prisoners cannot get out. They're under watchful care 24-7. 
and they can't get out. Paul rightly called himself a prisoner of Jesus because he knew that he was confined to God's word. He was confined to the truth that God had given him and he couldn't speak anything else but the truth. He was under God's watchful care and protection and provision. And he knew, I'm a prisoner to Jesus. I'm a servant of Jesus. No matter, no matter who would throw me in prison, at the end of the day, I'm his. I'm the Lord's. And as a believer in Christ, there's really a couple things that take place when we become Christians. We realize our mission. We realize that our mission is to die to self and to live for Christ and to live for others. Jesus gave us the mission. In Mark chapter 8, when he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Following Jesus, it comes with a cost. And Paul knew that was part of his mission. As a prisoner of Christ... It meant suffering. It meant sacrifice. And so the very fact that he was in prison showed him that he was suffering for the sake of Christ. That he was denying himself. And he was looking out for the interest of others and no longer himself. Because if you know about the Apostle Paul, he wasn't always the Apostle Paul. Before he became a Christian, he was the worst Jew out there. He was out to kill Christians. He found them and he, he put them in prison. He even had them killed and persecuted them. But it was God who radically and dramatically changed his life. And later, Paul would become the apostle to the Gentiles. And he would, come, he would become the main messenger to the ends of the earth. It's an incredible story of God's grace. And Paul talked about that in these verses. He talked about how he was the least of these. The word Paul, it means small. Before he was Paul, his name was Saul, which referred back to the king of Israel who was a head taller than everybody else. He was big Saul to everybody else as this great Jewish leader. But then when God changed him, guess who he became? He became small Paul. He became somebody who was really insignificant. And he said, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Because I'm his prisoner and I'm here to suffer for his name. So that we would bring glory and praise to him and to him alone. Paul, while he was in prison, he never lost sight of his mission. He knew he was a prisoner, and he also knew God gave him the task to go and tell the world about him, not just to his Jewish people and his friends, but also to Gentiles and others. And that's exactly what he wrote about in verse 1 and 2. He went on to say, I'm a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. You see, Paul's Gentile friends in Ephesus, this letter he was writing to, they were discouraged because they said, Paul, you've been in prison for five years and you didn't do anything wrong. We want you out of prison. Paul wrote this letter to them to encourage them saying, friends, don't lose heart. I'm in prison for a reason. I'm in prison for you so that you would hear about Jesus. I'm in prison so the message would spread because there is something attractive about Christianity by the very fact that we suffer. When someone suffers, it gets people's attention. And Paul knew that it was getting the outside world's attention, the very fact that he was in prison. And he said, this is a good thing. And it's good for you, Gentiles, because the church will grow and more and more people will learn about Jesus. 
It's a win-win for everybody. So don't lose heart that I'm in this prison suffering because God is doing a mighty work right now. Paul never lost sight of his vision and of his mission that God gave him. And God said, I will use you no matter where you are and no matter who comes in your path. So my question to you this morning is, what about you as Christians? Have you lost the mission that Jesus has given you? Are you kind of in a dry season spiritually? Have you forgotten the very fact that Jesus has called you to go and tell others about him? Jesus has called you to live with passion and vibrancy and and joy. Have you forgotten that being a disciple of Jesus comes with a cost? Now, we may not be like Paul and be thrown in prison for what we teach and preach. But if you think about it, being a Christian does require sacrifice. It does require some sort of suffering. You're here this morning at 9.30 in the morning. When the rest of this community is at home or on the lake or at Panera hanging out, it takes a commitment to come here to church on Sunday morning. It takes a commitment to wake up in the morning and read your Bible when you could be sleeping extra time. It takes commitment to give 10% to the church and ministry. I've had people over the years say, how much money do you give? And I tell them what I give to the church. And they say, why do you give to the church? You could be giving to so much other things or you could be helping pay down your house. And I'll say, well, this is part of being a Christian. It's what Jesus has called me to do. Some of us in our lifetime might even experience suffering from others. You might have relationships in your own family that are strained because of your faith, because of what you've stood up for. You might even have employers fire you for not attending certain trainings we are in those days now as christians and we need to brace persecution but we got to remember that being a christian requires sacrifice and second timothy 3 tells us indeed all who desire to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted paul knew that he knew his mission was to suffer for the name of jesus and so he's in prison. And he says, hey, it's a win-win because I can tell these Roman guards about Jesus and I can write these letters to encourage the outside world. And that's exactly what he did. He had great success in ministry while in prison because he understood his mission. He also revealed the mystery of Christ. Now, when you look through verses three through nine, you see this word mystery mentioned four different times. And the word mystery is different in Greek than it is in what we think of it in English. In English, whenever you hear the word mystery, you think about something that is unknown. You think about something that is obscure or dark or secret or puzzling. And oftentimes when we say mystery, we say, well, that was a mystery to me. That was a mystery to you. We don't know what it is. It's a mystery. The Greek is different. The Greek word mystery is mysterion, in Mysterion, it, it refers to something known only to the initiated, only to those specific people. And so although it's still a secret to others, it's no, longly, no longer closely guarded, but it's open. What is this mystery that Paul kept writing about these four different times in these verses? Verse 6 tells us what the mystery is. It says the mystery, it says in verse 6, it said, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. What Paul said here is the mystery 
has been kind of kept closed and secret for generations. He described that in verse 5. But he's saying, but now the mystery has been revealed to Gentiles and to the nations throughout the ends of the earth. And that mystery is, is that the kingdom of God is no longer primarily focused in on a certain people group, the Jewish people. Now the kingdom of God is growing and advancing to other ethnicities, other people groups, peoples of different tribes and tongues and languages and nations, the Gentile people. So that Gentiles are members of the same body of Jews. Gentiles are also fellow heirs to, the, to God's kingdom and his promises. And Gentiles are also partakers of the benefits that Jesus gives to Jewish people. Now, a couple weeks ago, I talked about how Jews and Gentiles, they hated each other with a passion. They hated each other. It was, it was, the, worst, uh, it was the worst battle that we've ever seen amongst ethnic groups ever in our, in our world history. And it went on for centuries. I gave you a couple of examples two weeks ago, but, but if you weren't here, if, if a Jewish person married a Gentile, the Jewish family, instead of having a celebration for their son or daughter getting married, you know what they would have? A funeral. That's how much Jewish people hated Gentiles. Whenever a Gentile woman was giving birth to a Gentile baby, no Jew was supposed to help her give birth. Why? Because it was said amongst the Jewish people that a Gentile baby was a heathen. And anytime a woman would give birth to a Gentile baby, she would be giving birth to a heathen. These people groups hated each other. And now, all of a sudden, God had a different plan in mind. He said, I'm not just going to limit my message to my people, the Jewish people. Which, by the way, when you read the Old Testament, there's 39 books. The 39 books were primarily written about the Jewish people. Every now and then you had Gentiles come to faith, but those were exceptions to the rule. The rule of thumb throughout the first part of human history was that God had his people, the Jews. Jesus came and he spent most of his time with the Jews. But after Jesus died and rose again, guess what happened? In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came in fullness. And the Holy Spirit then got the message of Jesus out throughout the world to different tribes and tongues and languages and peoples. So now Gentiles and Jews are the same. And Paul in Romans 11 was referred to as the apostle to the Gentiles. Again, he knew that was his mission. He knew that's what sent him in prison. And he also was able to help reveal this mystery that had been kept kind of disclosed for centuries. So no wonder Paul was stirring up a lot of controversy. Because he's telling a hated people group about Jesus. And his own people are feeling betrayed, saying, I thought you hated Gentiles. Why are, all of a sudden are you loving them and befriending them? I don't get it. But Paul said, this is beyond you. And this is a mystery from Jesus that I must reveal. And because Paul was able to help reveal that mystery, God gave him great success while he was in prison for those five years. The third reason why Paul had great success while he was in prison in those five years for Jesus was not just because he understood his mission and not just because he helped reveal the mystery, but he also gave a compelling message of Jesus Christ to a watching world. When you look through verse 7 and 8, he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, 
which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He was called to give a compelling message of hope. When you think about the word unsearchable, unsearchable riches, unsearchable means something that can't be tracked out, inexplorable, untraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, incalculable. And what exactly are these riches that Paul wrote about? Well, I'll tell you what they are. These riches are freely given to you as believers because of the cross. What are the riches that Jesus gives you and me as believers? <laughs> he gives us hope and joy. He gives us those fruit of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit's in us. But at the end of the day, he gives us new life now. And he gives us eternal life in heaven to come. He gives us the throne in heaven to sit, sit, sit with him in the heavenlies. He also reconciles us with God the Father when we were estranged and had a broken relationship with him. These are indescribable, unfathomable riches that God our Father has given you and me. And Paul said, I'm going to give the world this compelling message. And as he's given this message, not only to the Roman guards that he was interacting with, but in this letter that he's sending out to the churches, what's happening is, is the watching world is saying, I got to get me some of that. I got to hear me more of this good news. What an incredible message of Jesus Christ and how Jesus died on the cross so that I could be forgiven and I could be right with God the Father once again and I could have eternal life in heaven. It doesn't get better than that. These are unsearchable riches that Paul was writing about and he was telling others about. And you know what's fascinating is the watching world began to take notice. And more and more people, as they're reading this letter and as they're hearing from the churches that Paul helped to plant, they came to faith in Christ. And these were people of different ethnicities. This reminds me of a, of a missionary. His name was Johann Lucassi. And he worked with the Belgian Evangelical Mission. And several years ago, he was in Belgium. And he ended up kind of hitting a wall. He wasn't able to really make an impact in the ministry uh, that, that he was running like he thought he was. He realized that there were a bunch of Catholics there and people of cults that were just butting heads and people of different ethnicities that weren't interacting together. So guess what Johann Lucchesi did? He, he thought outside the box. And what he did was he ended up buying a house and he ended up getting people who were Belgian, Dutch, and Americans. And he said, I'm gonna force you single people, single men, to live in this house together and y'all are just gonna have to get along and work out your differences. <laughs> Well, guess what happened? In seven months after they were fighting and bickering, in seven months, these guys became the best of friends. And the watching world was taking notice and they said, wait a second, how are all these people friends? And Johann Lucassi said, I'll tell you how. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus breaks down the walls of hostility, the walls of division, and he unites people and he brings people together under his name. And my friends, as I shared two weeks ago, we're in an American society that is dealing with a lot of division right now. A lot of division politically, a lot of division spiritually, 
and a lot of division ethnically. And Jesus is calling us as his people to be one people and to unite with our brothers and sisters of Christ in Christ who are of different ethnicities. And as the watching world sees us unite together and love one another, they're going to be drawn to that and they're going to say, wow, that's attractive. That's not like the rest of the world and the news that we're watching and seeing. And so I want to encourage you on Sunday, August 1st, this is a little side note, invitation for you. Sunday, August 1st, mark it down. I'm giving you plenty of time. The Knox County Church Network that I'm the chair over, we're, we're putting together, us pastors are putting together a prayer event at Forest or Foster Chapel Baptist Church. Foster Chapel Baptist Church. It's in East Knox. And Joe Tolbert is the pastor. He's becoming a good friend of mine. And he runs an all-African-American church. And his church has volunteered to host our next prayer event. And you're welcome to come. Sunday night, August 1st at 6 o'clock, we're going to be praying for the Austin East principal because she goes to his church. She's a member of his church. And this is a great church. That's part of our network. And we're going to pray for her. We're going to pray for many other principals in our county. And we're going to be praying for our teachers and our students as we gather back to school. So that's just one way that we're trying to unite people of different ethnicities together under Jesus because we want our world to see what Christianity is all about. And Christianity is all about reaching the nations for Jesus and loving people who aren't like us. That's what it's about. And Paul knew that, and that's why he was able to give this compelling message, and more and more people flocked to Jesus because of this incredible message of unity and peace. But you know who else was watching while all this was taking place? It wasn't just the world around him. It was the heavenly authorities. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is Paul writing about here? He's saying, (laughs) as these walls of hostility are being torn down and Jews and Gentiles are uniting together. These were people that hated each other for centuries. As they're uniting together under Jesus Christ, guess who is in awe? Angels. The supernatural. Peter describes how the angels long to look into these things. When the angels are seeing more and more people coming in the kingdom of Christ and they're, and they're submitting under his rulership and authority and people of different tribes and tongues and nations and languages, the angels are so in awe and they're saying, wow, this Jesus must be the Lord of the universe. The angels are blown away by what they're seeing. So what does this have to do with you and me? It has everything to do with you and me. Because God has given each one of us a mission. A mission to be a prisoner of him. Doesn't sound glamorous, but believe me, it is. A mission to suffer for his name. A mission to die to self and to live for others and to live for Christ. And a mission to give a compelling message that the gospel is for the nations. That's why we have all these flags around here. Because we're a world missions church. We support 25 missionaries around the world. Why? Because God tells us to go into the world and to reach the nations for him. And so each one of us plays a vital role in the bigger part of God's mission and plan. So my question to you is, what is the mission he's given you? Remember that mission, cling to it as Paul did, and be ignited for him.